Roll Tide, everybody, and welcome to Bama Talk. I'm Steve Sample, and I'm just sitting back sipping some iced tea and taking it easy like Sunday morning since summer's here, school's out. Seems like there's really not a whole lot to get excited about. What with Tide sports teams kind of having shut it down till it's time to start it all back up in August. And, of course, the decibel level in T-Town goes way down when so many students leave town. You know, the campus gets really quiet, and the stadiums echo with the sounds of silence. Consequently, you know, that's when a lot of Crimson Tide fans turn their attention to our days till kickoff countdown. And it's also when fans of opposing teams like to start posting their put-downs. By now, the celebration after Bama's devastation of the Golden Domers has diminished enough that it's quiet enough that, you know, you could sit on the quad and if you've got a good ear, you could hear a certain bird crash into a skybox all the way over on the other end of the state. But wait! Just about the time you get a notion to take a nice little cat nap in that cabana down by the beach, the Crimson Tide comes crashing in again with another record-setting win. Bama's boys just made a big noise when they teed off on Illinois and brought home the Tide's first national championship in men's golf, which looks really good alongside the one the women's golf team won last year. Alabama head coach Jay Sewell has done a super job of jump-starting the program, and it's got to be extra sweet after getting beat by just one stroke in the final round a season ago. Sewell has seriously raised the bar at Bama, and we're glad to see those guys getting the results for which they have worked really hard. Of course, now we've got to make more space in our trophy case because golf needs a place to put theirs along with the other six most recent additions, those being two each in football and gymnastics, one each for women's softball and women's golf, which makes seven national championships in just a little over 27 months. That's amazing. And some of the schools that we gave a spanking ought to be thanking us because winning, particularly in the postseason, puts piles of money in the bank. Just a few days ago at the annual meeting in Destin, the SEC divided $289 million among the 14 teams that get a slice of that very prosperous pie. And we all know it's a fact that of the 14 teams in the flock, there are really only six or seven of those geese that keep laying all those golden eggs. Looks to me like some thank you notes are in order from a number of schools that ought to be given thanks every day that they are essentially grandfathered into a conference they would never be considered for if their qualifications for membership in this club were being calculated today. And speaking of money, it's our opinion, based on what we know about it so far, that the movement to increase scholarships by a formula based on cost of attendance makes so much more sense than the current model. If an institution is going to invite a prospective student-athlete to leave whatever home they may have and maintain what amounts to two full-time jobs, it's only fair to compensate them for whatever cost that relocation incurs. Most businesses that offer employment to an individual pay for whatever moving cost that move involves on top of an increase in salary. Now, that's not to say we think student-athletes should be treated like employees, but we are saying that if NCAA member institutions are going to continue to forbid student-athletes to have jobs, even in right-to-work states like Alabama, then they should allow scholarships to cover the full cost of attendance. Being a scholarship athlete shouldn't equate to indentured servitude, and the attitude of the powers that be needs to change and actually reflect a reasonable stance with regard to acting in a student's best interest, both academically and 
financially. That, or we move that all employees of the NCAA, that honorable organization that supposedly exists to preserve the integrity of the game and the amateur status of its participants, work on a non-paid volunteer basis. But one guy we know that's paid for what he does and deserves every penny is former Tide quarterback Freddie Kitchens, who had to have emergency heart surgery Tuesday night, June 4th in Arizona, where he's an assistant coach with the Cardinals. Doctors found a defect in his aorta, then performed emergency surgery to correct that condition. We want number nine to know that we're lifting him up and wishing him a complete and speedy recovery. And speaking of recoveries, our softball team will have a big one to make next year because our guest today just finished four incredible years on campus and is already headed back across the country to her home in Eugene, Oregon. Her list of credits and accomplishments is so long that the only way we could read everything on her resume would be to make this a miniseries like Band of Brothers, and I suspect the sisters she went into battle with would be all about it. But since her list of accomplishments is longer than the waiting list for softball season tickets will just hit some of the high spots. Now, she played for her grandfather at Marist High School in Eugene, Oregon, where she had a record-setting career, the kind that led Coach Murphy to recruit her to come all the way across the country and enroll at the Capstone. But before she was wearing crimson, she was wearing out the competition back home with a national record 103-game hitting streak. She made first-team All-League, first-team All-State, and was league MVP all four seasons, she played high school ball, was named Oregon's 4A Player of the Year twice, and made Under Armour All-American as a senior. In her first year at Bama, this young lady led the team in six offensive categories. She had a 505 batting average, a 564 on-base percentage. She scored 75 runs, had the most hits with 95, the most triples with four, and stole 45 bases. That 505 batting average broke the Bama single season record, and she started 62 of the 63 games she played in. Over the course of the next three seasons, she helped lead the Tide to three consecutive SEC tournament titles and Alabama's first national championship, where she was named to the Women's College World Series All-Tournament Team. She hit home runs in the classroom, where she earned a Capital One Academic All-American Award, too. So like we said before, there's so much more, but it's time to talk to a girl that won a lot of hearts while she was wearing number one for the Crimson Tide. Kayla, bro, thanks so much for taking time to be with us today. How are you doing? Oh, I'm doing great. Thank you so much for having me. I'm, I'm very excited to be here. Oh, yeah. I've really been looking forward to it. I, I know you've probably been busy because the season just ended a few days ago, and you've already made your way all the way back across country. So uh, I guess you've had your fill of airports for the, for a couple of days anyway. You know, I love the fact that you're on with us today of all days because it was exactly one year ago today you guys played in the biggest game in Alabama softball history, and it was the most exciting softball game I've ever seen. Twelve months later, you know, it's still really fresh on my mind. What's it like at this point looking back and realizing you, know, you were a part of one of the, mo the most incredible softball series in the history of the school? I mean, it's still, um, you know, it doesn't seem real all the time, but, you know, I was watching the game and I was watching the Tennessee Oklahoma series and I was like, I know what that feels like to win it all. I know what it's like to be in that game. And it's it's the coolest feeling to celebrate with your teammates and people that, like, you care about and, um, you know, coaching staff like we have. I mean, it, it's, an, it's an amazing accomplishment um, for all of us players on that team because it's something really special. We were the first ones in the – school history, the first one in SEC. So it's just always something I can be so proud of. Um, 
even as I hang my cle- hang my cleats up this year, I get to go away as a national champion no matter what. So that's always um, a really, really big um, yeah. deal and something that I take a lot of pride in. Hey, you get to keep that ring. <laughs> and, that's, yeah. and that's great. You know, what was so cool about watching that, and especially that last night, of course, you had the rain delay. So the game didn't actually start about 10 o'clock our time here. Uh, and I'm sitting at home by myself. I'm, I'm wind, I wind up standing up in the middle of the living room floor, pacing and jumping up and down and screaming and yelling. And the game was over like at what, midnight or something. And I don't know if I got to sleep before about three because how do you calm down after that? Uh, but it was so cool to see so many of our people in the stands, and and a lot of them had been there for eight or nine days. Uh, Coach Patterson was there. It was, and all those shots they were giving. Me, and by the way, those dugout shots, classic stuff. I I put a shot. Uh, I posted a pic of uh, you guys celebrating at the end of the game on our Bama Talk Facebook page today, and it just it was getting likes like popcorn going off. You know, Oklahoma was and still is a really strong team. The conventional wisdom being that Kalani Ricketts was the most imposing pitcher in the game last year, uh, probably still is. They they took game one, which meant you had to win the next two. What did you talk about after game one last year, and what was it like in the locker room? Um, well, after game one, uh, you know, actually during game one, it wasn't necessarily that we played really, really bad, but no. um, we just like, we just, uh, we were kind of like almost like deer in the headlights, kind of shell-shocked for the first time, like, you're on a big stage, there's a packed house, you're playing a team that is basically has a home field advantage with almost 10,000 people, so you're kind of like, you know, a little bit, um, it was kind of like an out-of-body experience, like, I don't remember the first game very much, um, but then, you know, we went to the locker room that night, and then we watched a ton of film on all these other teams that had beaten Oklahoma, see what they did, um, we watched, um, film on us, um, specifically, we had, like, some highlight motivationals, um, because that season we had lost the first game of a couple series against Georgia, against Florida, yep. um, and we had come back and won. And so our coaches were basically like, "You guys can do this. Like, this is when you're at your best. This is when your back's against the wall and you lose game one, and you're, you know, you have two games left to prove something." <laughs> so for us, it was really about just trusting that you know what we've been doing all year worked, and and seeing that we can be successful, we can beat them again. So. Um, that's what it was like, and, you know, we came back so strong the next day, and I was really proud of our team because, um, you know, we definitely struggled, and there was some adversity, you know, the weather, the playing at night, um, late at night, and it didn't get to us, and I think that was um, the best part of that whole situation is I thoroughly remember being in that rain delay and thinking, like, this is one of the best moments of my life, win or lose, because, our team shows so much heart in, in, in a time of, of adversity. So I was proud of my team, whether we would have won or not, but luckily we did. So Oh, it was. I think it was one of the classic moments in sports, uh, the scene where you mm-hmm. guys are outside the, the, the dugout and leading cheers and, and dancing in the rain. I mean, it, it was mm-hmm. it was the kind of stuff ESPN will probably be showing clips of, you know, for the next thirty years. You know, you came out yeah. on you came out on top in game two, so now the series is tied, which means it's winner take all in game three. And you're playing against a great team at a venue that was essentially a home game for them. You know, you might as well have it might as well have been a national championship game at their stadium mm-hmm. on campus. You guys really had incredible chemistry all year. 
But it was clear when you came out for game three, I remember this very vividly, that there was no fear. And I think everybody, including Oklahoma, kind of picked up on that. Was it hard Was it hard to stay within yourself, like you were talking about a minute ago, by game three with that kind of atmosphere in that kind of environment? Absolutely. I mean, it was um, it was definitely like hard to, you know, relax, take a step back and, you know, say to yourself, I'm, I'm playing the same game that I've been playing since I was five years old. Um, but the coolest part about that game and um, like I said, it was just how much chemistry we had. And like you said, it'd been there all year, but you really saw it because, um, you know, it's the times when you're losing. It's, it's the times when your back's against the wall that you see the true character or the, um, you know, the potential in a team. It's not when everybody's doing great and winning and right. everything's fine and dandy. You see the, you know, the team's character and chemistry, the true chemistry when, you know, things aren't going your way. And in that game, things weren't. We were losing. It just started raining. And, and rather than, you know, kind of, you know, tossing your hat and say, you know, good game, like we tried this year. Instead of that, we kind of like really buckled down, bought into it, believed in each other, and you know, gave everything our ha- everything we had and left it all on the field. You know that 2000 team was one great group of personalities, and and, and you and I we cannot talk enough about chemistry. Uh, I've been around and no, watched enough yeah. teams and groups and bands, orchestras, military units. Chemistry is something you can't coach, you can't recruit it, you can't create it, you can't orchestrate it. Mm-hmm. It's something you have or you don't have. And that bunch last year had a had had a thing you you can't pay for, you can't buy it. Uh, and a lot of great personalities. I talked about this with Murph when he was on a while back in that I, I don't think I've ever seen a team where the players that didn't play a lot were such a big part of that team's character. I thought we had the best dugout in the country, and they were in rare form that night. Uh, was I imagining that, or was it as powerful with those people as it appeared to be? No, absolutely. We for sure had the best dugout. You know, our coaches preach all the time about how important every single player on the team is, whether you're a starter or not. Because if you're on the bench and, you know, you're not – giving 100%, then all you're doing is um, we kind of use it as a, as a metaphor um, that you're, you know, if you were in a boat rowing, you'd be dragging your oar in the water. So our coaches say never drag your oar in the water. Um, and that's exactly what the bench didn't do. They they were always up. They were already always supporting no matter what. And they realized that they actually did have an effect on the game because when – um, you know, the the starters or the people that were playing needed, like, support and somebody, like, to look at and be like, okay, they got my back. They're going to support me. They're cheering for me. It makes a whole world of difference. And when you see a dugout that, um, you know, doesn't really look like they're into the game, isn't really enthusiastic, it kind of translates to the starters, whether um, they mean to or not. And so, um, you know, for us, you know, they, they were the wolf pack. They call themselves. They still do. And it's just a special, I mean, they still are a special group of people that gives their heart and soul, whether they're playing or not. Absolutely. You know, it just occurred to me uh, as you were talking that if you went back and replayed uh, TV broadcast of a lot of our softball games and you turn the sound down so you're not swayed by the commentary and you just watch the, the video. And you see, and again, I'm, I'm really thinking a lot about two of that the World Championship Series last World Series last year. If you just look at the demeanor and the body language of the teams, and especially again those dugout shots, 
Bama's going to win the game. You know, if you, oh, could, yeah. <laughs> you know, so, no hey, doubt. hey, let's go back to high school. You grew up about as far from Alabama as anybody can and still be on the mainland. Mm-hmm. Although I know your family, I think, is originally from Louisiana. Now, uh, obviously, you started playing ball very young and you had a great high school career. The West Coast has traditionally been where softball's biggest. And I'm sure you could have gone to any number of schools out there on scholarship uh, that, that have been softball powerhouses for a long time. When did you first become aware of what was going on in Tuscaloosa, which was pretty new in softball world and what was it that caught your eye um well you know um i, I wasn't really thinking a lot about college softball until i was like a sophomore junior in high school um and you know of course you know pac-12 pac-10 is the softball um you know capital it's where all the teams have won um and um growing up you know you as a west coast kid you always think about playing on those schools but it wasn't until my junior year um when i I got a letter from Coach Murphy um, when you're allowed to um, your junior year um, that I was like, oh, wow, Alabama, it's somewhere completely different. Um, I've always loved football, so like I was like, I know they had a great football program. Um, I know they had gone to the World Series a couple times in the past. Um, so I was actually really interested. Um, I went on a visit there, and I absolutely fell in love with Alabama. I mean, Pac-12 is great, but the facilities just don't compare to the SEC. And so when you walk in and you see a packed stadium and um, it's a non-conference game and, you know, you walk in and, like, you, you see the most gorgeous, large stadium in the world. And then not only that, but it's surrounded by a gorgeous campus, incredibly nice people that treat you like family. It was just the right fit. And, you know, great academics as well. So, um you know, for me, it was an easy decision because Alabama had everything I needed, and it offered me so much more. And um, as much as I would have loved to, you know, stay closer to home and be around my family, um, Alabama was like my second home, and I, I just knew it from the moment I stepped on it, um, campus and saw Road Stadium and met the coaches and met the team. Well, it's not the same with you not around, I'll tell you that. You know, I, I was just mm-hmm. looking at a printout I found online of the one lost records among in softball since 2006, so I guess that's seven or eight seasons now. Alabama's first with an 842, 842 winning percentage, followed by six other SEC teams. And there are in, in, in the top 17 I'm looking out here at here is five Pac-10 ten, ten teams. Uh, so the... The, the power and the uh, the popularity uh, has increased so much in the Southeast and in the especially in the SEC the last number of years, and you guys had an awful lot to do with that. I really think there's been a tremendous surge in interest in the intensity and the um, uh, the popularity of it. You know, Oregon's two time zones away, and then there's the culture and the climate when you're talking about getting comfortable with being in the Deep South. How did that part mm-hmm. of it go for you when you first got to town? Um, well, you know, um, playing in, like, softball tournaments and stuff, it wasn't something that was really new, like the humidity and the heat and, and that kind of thing. So it wasn't, I was, I wasn't, def- definitely was not intimidated by it. And I definitely wanted to go somewhere where it rained less because it rains <laughs> way too much here in Oregon. So, um, you know, it it wasn't a bad transition. Um, and, you know, it's bad for a couple months while you're there, but realistically from, like, October till May, I mean, the weather's just gorgeous and, um, you know, it's a nice temperature, it's warm, which is way better playing in softball because um, playing in the cold isn't any fun. And, 
you know, as far as that, it was, it wasn't bad. And like I said earlier, as far as like geographical, um, you know, people are so nice here and you feel so welcome in the South. Um, it just makes it a lot easier to, to move away, to, to, you know, be across the country and away from your family and away from really anybody, you know, so, um, that it wasn't a hard decision for me and, uh, it definitely had a great experience seeing a different side of the country and a different culture and experiencing like life of the South. Well, I'm really glad to hear that because you are definitely part of the family now. I mean, you're, you're in <laughs> Kayla. Hey, you know, the four, year, <laughs> the four years you were at Bama are the best four years the program's ever had. And it's 17 years old and it's been good pretty much from the get go. You played right off the bat as a freshman. You played with some really good upperclassmen. Uh, who are some of the players along the way that helped you kind of uh, establish yourself as a, as a team member, as a player, you know, that kind of thing. Who were some of the ones that kind of showed you the ropes? Yeah, absolutely. I think you had to start, um, you know, with like the senior class, like Charlotte Morgan um, was definitely a player that I looked up to. Um, and then you go to like Whitney Larson yep. and she was like the, um, she was kind of like the leader that I looked up to. Um, Big hit whip. Up to, like, yeah. Um, Yes, <laughs> Kathy Riley Bosha was always one. Jennifer Fenton, Jasmine Lunsford. I mean, Jazz and Jen definitely taught me the ropes in the outfield. Um, Cassie was just kind of one of those teammates that you absolutely love to play with because she had so much passion for the game and she had so much respect for the game. She played the game right, so I learned that from her. Um, but those were just some of them. Um, I also uh, learned a lot from the, the class that I my class replaced, like the Brittany Rogers. L.U. Lang, Sky Montalvo, Ashley Holcomb, because when I went to those games, like, I watched those kids and when they played, and I just loved the way they played. I loved the way they acted. I loved um, how much fun they looked like they were having, and when they, you know, met me, they were so, like, positive and nice. And so, um, you know, it's definitely been a long tradition of great individuals that have gone through the program, and, like, our motto is tradition never graduates, and it just keeps happening just there's great now lower like underclassmen uh, that I played with that I um, admire and look up to as well now so I mean it's just uh, Murphy does a great job of recruiting good people you know it's funny you mentioned that I was just thinking the other day about how how cool it is to look out there and see Haley McClinney, Haley Mack, out there wearing number eight mm-hmm. in center field that Brittany Rogers used to yeah. wear in the, in the same position uh, and their their games are somewhat similar. Uh, they're both great players. They're so passionate for it. They're 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 so fired about. They're great athletes. Uh, it's just fun to watch them. Uh, yeah. Oh hey, yeah. L- let me ask you about this. It's been two years now since Murph just out of the blue left for LSU. I know I was stunned, and I mean really truly stunned. I immediately one immediately wondered how you girls were taking this. And needless to say, I was ecstatic uh, when he decided to come on back and Coach Moore, bless his heart, sent a plane down there to bring him and Allie back. (laughs) (laughs) And just uh, what was it like for – and by the way, I love you guys wearing the uh, helmets with the 15 on it. Uh, Yeah, loved those helmets. Those are awesome. Those are my favorite helmets in all four years. And listen, I'm going to confess that I'm old enough that as a very, very young and small child, I saw Mal Moore play. Oh, okay. <laughs> now, yeah, him and Moses. Anyway, uh, so what what was it like for you guys as all that played out? It had to be like a bomb going off. It really was, and and for me, I found out when I was in Oregon for the home for the summer. So, uh, you know, I got a call and he was leaving, and um, you know, I was pretty devastated. Um, 
which is kind of funny because um, it's definitely um, when you recruited, you don't imagine a coach leaving. You don't imagine getting a new coach. And so for me, it was like, oh, my gosh, I never, ever would have thought this would happen. Um, so I was completely just totally surprised. And I was really upset for a while, um, you know, angry, sad, confused, um, you know, all the things sure. grief, basically, because – you know, Murph means so much to us, and he means so much to me, like, beyond softball. He's he's kind of a mentor and somebody you look up to and somebody um, that you learn a lot about life from. And so even more than softball, it's like you're losing somebody really important to you, um, not just a coach. And so um, when he came back, you know, it took me a while, but I, would, I mean, eventually, I mean, I'm so grateful he did. I would have never... Um, you know, imagine my career without a different coach, and I'm, you know, blessed that he did come back. But right when he did, like, say I was coming back, I, I didn't really know how to take it. I was like, how can you just do that? How can you just leave us and come back? But, you know, it worked out for the best, and, um, you know, I'm thankful every single day that Murph stayed. Yeah, it really did. And I think sometimes in life we all come across those forks in the road where sometimes we – uh, have a knee-jerk reaction and make it a, uh, a choice that uh, we know pretty quickly was the wrong one. And I'm just glad he he had enough guts to say, "Hey, I've messed up. I want to go home," and he did. Oh yeah, absolutely. Admitting you're wrong and and having to change your mind and go back was far far um, harder than. Uh, leaving in the first place. And it was so cool to read about him calling Coach Moore and telling him basically giving him that story and. Coach Moore just <laughs> sends a play that plane down there right now. You know, mm-hmm. I'll, I'll come get you. It's okay. Hey, you know, uh, I know uh, you played under your grandfather, I believe, in high school. You played under mm-hmm. an awfully good staff at Alabama uh, um, with Allie, and uh, Van was there for a while, and then Stephanie. What was the most important part of being a player you learned in high school? And then what was the most important thing you learned about being a player after you got to Tuscaloosa? Um, well, you know, um, you know, growing up and playing softball was always a family affair. I've had my grandpa coach me, my dad, uh, my mom, my cousin, my aunt, my uncle. Like, I've had everybody coach me, and they all instilled in me um, a, a passion, a fire, like competitiveness um, and, and a love for the game. So I think that's what I learned growing up and in high school that enabled me to, you know, have enough drive to play in college and things like that. And then once I got to college um, – you know, the coaching staff here and, you know, Allie and, you know, they've all taught me different things and stuff. But I think the thing I've learned from them the most is, is how you respond to adversity and how you um, work through your struggles and, and what hard work really looks like um, and uh, just how that can translate to life as well. Um, they treat, you know, Coach Murphy and Allie and Steph and, and our volunteers and Adam, they all teach you so much about life too beyond softball, and so I think that's the thing I take the most pride away from my experience is that I know I'm going to be ready for my next phase of life, and they were the main reason for that. So you don't have to have a uh, glove on your hand to take advantage of of what you came out of it with. That's great. Exactly. Hey, you know, Murph and Cassie have both been on, and I really enjoyed talking to both of them. Um, And we talked about how strong a bond there is between the team and the community. Uh, Things like the way you guys delivered season tickets in person. And the fact that you're on TV so much makes it so easy to get to know the players that it's Mm -hmm. it's very relational. It's almost like watching family play after a while. 
Uh, and that's why I tell people that it hadn't been to a game that once you go, you're hooked. You'll go back. You need mm-hmm. to go see a softball game. I started following it six or seven years ago, uh, about halfway through Brittany Rogers' career, I think. And, uh, and after the first time I went, I mean, I was it was like morphine. I was hooked. I mean, that's it. You know, I was going back. What's it like being on the players' end of that relationship with the fans in Tuscaloosa? Oh, yeah. I think Murphy does a great job of um, instilling the idea that we're a family, the community is. And so um, it's kind of like they're on your team, like they have your back. Uh, when, you know, when we play at home and we have those all like about 3,000 to 4,000 supporters behind us, it gives us so much, um, you know, support, basically. It gives us so much confidence. It gives us, um, you know, so much better morale because we know that there's 4,000 people that are going to cheer for us and support us and, and want us to do well. Um, and that's what happens when you do things like deliver season tickets and, you know, we sign autographs um, as much as we can yep. and we try to build a relationship. We do, um, you know, like the booster club um, and fan day, stuff like that. Um, and that's just all the building relationship because the experience for us is so much greater when we have a relationship with the fans um, because, you know, before the game when, you know, Emily P. Tech's up there and getting the crowd going, you know, she's creating a family atmosphere and that just feeds off to us, and so we love being part of that. Um, it's really simple, and it's, uh, but it makes a world of a difference when you're out on the field. You just feel so much better when you know that, like I said earlier, you have 4,000 people like that are behind you cheering for you and um, are really going to love you at the end of the day, win or lose. Amen. Amen. And it's, uh, uh, I was at, uh, eight or 10 games this year and bless those fans hearts. I drove down from Birmingham, uh, and enjoyed every minute of it. And there were six or seven games this year where it was uncharacteristically cold and you had people sitting up in there at nine and 10 o'clock at night in 35 degree weather, uh, hanging in there till it was over. Uh, you know, hey, you you know, we're we're just about out of time. I just want to ask you about this. You accomplish so much in your four years as a player. You play with so many great people. You play with great coaches in front of fans that would take a bullet for you. I posted a pic on our Bama Talk Facebook page of your excitement about a forty-inch vertical leap when Jackie Branham got a hit in her last home field at bat, which was so cool. Tell us about some of the thoughts and feelings you were having when you knew you'd be walking out of that home home locker room as a player for the last time. Yeah, you know, that was a tough day. I mean, even like Jackie said, like, I was so proud of her because she's the kind of person that works so hard and deserves something like that, deserves that double in the gap for her last at bat, oh, you know, yeah. of her career. And, um, you know, that's what it's all about um, for the Alabama softball program is, you know, being part of something that's bigger than yourself caring more about others than you do about yourself. And that's what I've, you know, learned um, in my four years. Um, but, you know, leaving Tuscaloosa and, you know, walking off the field that last day was tough. I mean, I've had so many great memories. and met so many great people. Um, it was the best four years of my life. And it wasn't easy by any means. Um, you know, I shed some tears. And, and I think it was one of the most special experiences in my career when I got a base hit in the last inning and I got a standing ovation. Um uh, from the crowd when I was on first base, I think I started tearing up on first base because it's like moments like that that community gives you that you're going to remember for the rest of your life. And yeah, I don't those th- are things I'm going to take. So I mean, it was tough, but I mean, I had the best four years, so I can't. You know, if it if it didn't hurt so bad, if it wasn't so hard to leave that place, it would have meant that I didn't have as many good memories as I did. Well, you probably weren't the only one tearing up that day. 
mm-hmm. are you going to stay involved in the game in any way? Um, yeah, you know, I'm, you know, I've already given some lessons up in Portland. Um, I'll help some summer ball teams, um, and see from there. I always want to, always want to stay a part of the game, whether it's, you know, coaching or helping out or giving lessons or, you know, doing whatever absolutely I can because, um, I always feel like the sport that given has given so much to me, I should help uh, another kid get to experience what I experience and give back to the, the game, you know? Yep. Well, it's about time to put the bats and the balls back in the bag. And Kayla, it's just been such a pleasure to have you on and really been looking forward to talking to you. And I know there's so many people out there that will be uh, excited about having a chance to get to listen to you talk about uh, everything that's gone on with you with the team in the last four years. Uh, if somebody might want to get in touch with you, what's a, what's the best way they could do that? Oh, yeah. I think um, you know I'm on Twitter. um you can send me a message, whatever. Um, it's Kayla Bro, like my full name, and then one, easy, jersey number, um, on Twitter. And then, you know, um, Murph, Murph has my email, so if it's really important, get a hold of, uh, you know, Murph or somebody like that. And uh, you can uh, contact or Kate Batool or, excuse me, Kate Harris. That was her main name. Yeah, whoever. And, uh, if there's something you really need, uh, there's a way to contact me. Well, I hope we're going to be seeing you around here again. But I tell you what, I got a hunch we'll see your face on that outfield wall next year. <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> well, listen, you take care. Thanks so much, Kayla. And roll tide. Thank you so much. Roll tide. You know, I don't know about you guys, but it's a real pleasure to be able to get to know more about one of the many outstanding people that make it so easy to take so much pride in our Crimson Tide. And there are some other Tide people out there I want to talk up in case you want to join up. There's a great bunch of Bama fans called the Crimson Ladies that are based in Coleman, and they meet on the third Monday of every month at various restaurants in that area, but always at 6 o'clock p.m. They're committed to supporting the university and children's charities, such as Nick's kids, and they post the location of their monthly meetings on their Crimson Ladies Facebook page. So if you're anywhere near there, check it out and tell them we said hello. There's another women's group based in West Alabama that meets in Tuscaloosa called Ladies of the Houndstooth, which is an organization that's committed to serving the community while sharing their love for our university. Being from T-Town myself, I know some of these people personally, and it'd be a great bunch to be with. They meet the last Tuesday of every month at 5.30 p.m. Their next soiree will take place at Spirits in the Public Shopping Center near Lake Tuscaloosa on June 11th, and all Alabama alumni and their friends are welcome. You can get more details on their Facebook page or on Twitter, or you can email Sue Blanton at sue.blanton at hotmail.com. With us recording this show on June 6th, there's no way we can fail to say something about D-Day. The landings that took place at the various Normandy beaches were part of the largest amphibious invasion in history, and its purpose was to begin the drive to Berlin so that Europe could be freed from the evil that Nazi Germany was inflicting not only on the people of neighboring nations, but also on its own citizens. The men that went ashore that day learned all about the price of freedom, and many paid every penny. For those that were there and survived it, and for those who lost loved ones in those legendary landings, we want to acknowledge you, we salute you, and we thank you. 
Before we go today, though, we want to remind you to let your Bama friends know about the show. We've posted 40 episodes now, and they're all available at no charge because the downloads and the subscriptions are free. We've had a great lineup of guests, so we hope you'll go back and check out what they were talking about because it's all about Alabama. And we're anxious to get your feedback about the show because it helps us know who we're reaching and what you're thinking. So we'd like you to take a sec and send us an email. Tell us where you're listening from, how old you are, what your favorite episode was, who your all-time favorite players are, and who you'd like to have us have on as a guest. One other thing we'd like to know is how you access the show. Do you listen through the podcast section of iTunes or on Stitcher, or do you go to bigbrainsmedia.com? So take time to drop us a line by means of my email address, which is steve at bamatalkshow.com. Well, it's about time to head for the locker room, but we'll be back soon with another episode, so we hope you'll tune in again and remember to tell your friends. So for Mark Phillips, James Spann, and everybody behind the scenes at Bama Talk, we sure hope you enjoyed it because we had a ball, y'all. Till next time, take care, have a blessed day, and roll tide.